What a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you, my friends. If you're joining us for the very first time, I also want to welcome you. However you got here, whether someone mentioned this to you, a friend, a family member, a coworker, maybe you stumbled on it uh, on your own, right? I mean, hey, however you're here, you're here and we're thankful. Please feel welcomed. Uh, we're continuing on with a series called The Time to Choose, and I want to talk today about overcoming the imposter syndrome. I want us to sit with this, and I'm talking about choosing to trust the Lord even when we feel fearful or overwhelmed by our own sense of weakness. I'm talking about letting him, well, choosing to let him use us despite our flaws. So what I want to do is just maybe throw some questions and ask you some things. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by a sense of sin and weakness? Have you ever felt that you are in some ways your own worst enemy? Have you, have you ever felt that some things, maybe things of your past, um, your upbringing, or self-inflicted wounds or habits that we acquired will always sabotage and undermine our ability to follow Christ and to do well, to live well for him. Have you ever felt defeated and ashamed when you looked into your own heart or have you ever felt like a imposter? <laughs> like you're not really who others think you might be. You know, the imposter syndrome is getting a lot of attention these days. The imposter syndrome is really, well, those who have it, tend to fear the, that the proverbial curtain will be pulled back and they will be revealed as frauds. I was reading an article on Healthline talking about the imposter syndrome. It said, imposter feelings represent a conflict between your own self-perception and the way others perceive you. Even as others praise your talents, you write off your successes to timing and good luck. You don't believe you've earned them on your own merits and you fear others will eventually realize the same thing. Consequently, you pressure yourself to work harder in order to, and they name four things. One, keep others from recognizing your shortcomings or failures. Two, to become worthy of roles you believe you don't deserve. Three, make up for what you consider your lack of intelligence. And four, ease feelings of guilt over tricking people. The work you put in can keep the cycle going. The article goes on to say, your further accomplishments don't reassure you. You consider them nothing more than the product of your efforts to maintain the illusion of your success. And any recognition you earn, you call it sympathy or pity. And despite linking your accomplishments to chance, you take on all the blame for any mistakes you make. Even minor errors reinforce your belief in your lack of intelligence and ability. Over time, this can fuel a cycle of anxiety, depression, and guilt. Living in constant fear of discovery. You strive for perfection in everything you do. You might feel guilty or worthless when you can't achieve it, not to mention burned out and overwhelmed by your continued effort. So listen to me, please. Whether it's connected to a real sense of our sin and weakness within or to an overwhelming sense of inadequacy, a fear that we are not who people think we are. 
I'm just going to say it. This message is for you. This message is for you. Wherever that struggle is, that struggle is connected to the idea that I've got stuff going on inside of me. And that kind of disqualifies me from ever really being someone who God can use. Like I'm, I'm just not able to do it. I, like we just sensed it, not even with really with God's help. I mean, like we're just, I mean, we believe, but we feel paralyzed by our own sense of spiritual inadequacy. And some of that inadequacy may be connected to stuff. But nonetheless, part of us doesn't even want to try anymore because we feel so defeated. Or it may be connected to that imposter syndrome where we we don't want people to, to discover who we really are. We fear that we are not who people think we are. So whatever place we find ourselves in, I believe this is a good word for all of us. You know, last week we, we shared on the choice to cooperate with grace. You heard me do that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, I would encourage you to do so. We talked about the idea of cooperating with grace and accepting what the Lord says we can be and become with his help and how that's going to require a choice, a choice on our part to follow him despite, again, our sense of unworthiness or inadequacy. Listen, even if that's real or imagined, the passage and the portion of scripture and the exchange that we're going to look at in a minute here, it's going to illustrate this truth with, uh, with just intense precision. I'm just, I'm just so excited about what we're going to look at here in a moment from the scriptures. I think it's going to be so helpful, so beneficial, but let me just pray over it. And Lord Jesus, I just want you to meet us here right now. I want you to speak to us. And in, yeah, I'm even going to ask that you would, in some cases, heal us of either our sense of inadequacy or our struggle within us that, just seems to cripple our capacity to follow you or this fear of being exposed to something other than we think we really are. And so just ask that you would just meet us here with this in this word, in this time of sharing, in Jesus' name. So I want to look again one more time at an interaction between Jesus and Simon Peter. Some of you may recall in last week's message, I shared about how in their first encounter, Jesus and Peter, um, one day met that Jesus gave Peter a new name. He says, you are Simon, son of John, but now I will call you Peter, which meant rock. And it implied someone who Jesus said could be counted on and built upon, right? So it was, and it was a hard word for Peter to receive. I mean, it's interesting to, to see where he struggled. Like he, he seemed to really have a hard time with that. Like it, it, it got him quiet. It got him quiet. But between that first encounter moment and the one that we're, we're going to examine here in a few, few seconds, actually, the one that we're going to be looking at here, some, some amount of time had passed. The incident is recorded at the opening of Luke 5, and it marks the moment where the disciples begin to follow Jesus full time. In the case of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it it marks the moment when they actually left their nets, their their nets behind them. They they changed their occupation as fishermen and became Jesus's full time students and disciples. We may assume with the blessing of their their family and friends. 
But it all began with a miracle. It did. Or at least something that seemed like one. And uh, we read about it as the chapter opens. So here's, let's look at this together. Luke 5. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the, lake, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, Jesus did. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. It's just a lovely, beautiful, bucolic moment. I mean, if you've ever seen the Sea of Galilee, it's just, it's just gentle. And the space is filled with pastel colors. And I can, I can sense it, you know, just, just feel it. Jesus in the boat, water lapping, the people listening on the shore. But it was Simon's boat. And uh, he was listening too. Remember, uh, he had been initially challenged by Jesus. They all had been. And so this is going to mark a moment, a shift. It says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. <laughs> Simon answered and he said, oh, master, uh, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing and implied we've cleaned the nets already. And plus, this is not the right time of the day to fish. And on top of it, um, we're the fishermen. And honestly, that's not your area of expertise, but uh, sure. You want us to do it again? Yeah, we'll do it. At your word, I will let down the nets. Let's go, guys. Let's do this. Uh, that was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Some have called this a fisherman's protest. Ah, Lord, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. How many times can we relate to that? I, I can. Oh, God, are you really wanting me to do this? All right. I don't want to do it. I don't think it'll make a difference. But Okay. At your word, I'll do it. Because you want me to. I will do it. And when they did this, when they, they got back out there to the spot that Jesus had pointed out, they enclosed a large number of fish. So much so that their nets were breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. Think about that. So that they actually began to sink. There was so much that they were on the edge of sinking. <laughs> and when, when Simon Peter saw it, verse 8 says, he fell down at, at Jesus' knees. Threw himself at his feet. Just threw himself there. And he said to him, depart from me, depart from me, have nothing to do with me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple man, Lord. Oh, Lord. Right. For all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. You know, I, I just, this is one of my favorite moments. In, in the Gospels, um, one of my favorite moments in Peter's life that's recorded here in the scriptures, because yeah, I just love this about Peter. Because he just turns internal. For him, the contrast is so deep. He senses his resistance. 
how far off he was. I mean, what he, what he realizes is the enormous gap between him and Jesus. You see it? Do you see it? It's the reason he says it. Just don't have anything to do. I mean, he, he feels unworthy and willful. He cooperated, but he had resisted. And he didn't believe it. He had pushed back, but then he, yeah, all right, I'll do it. It's almost like when he's holding on to Jesus, when he's right there, bowed at his knees. He can't help it. He's so real. He's so honest. He feels it. He's like, he says, look, it's like, he's saying, Lord, don't waste your time on a man like me. <laughs> if, you, if you really knew who I was, and he did, by the way. But it's like Peter's saying, if you really knew who I was, you know what I was thinking. I'm, I'm a sinful man. <sighs> and in the end, and we mentioned this last week, the choice we must make is to cooperate with grace. That is the choice all of us must make. To choose to believe, yes, to choose to believe as Simon was being asked to do, that we can become more than we think possible and find a strength that we thought impossible. I think that's saying we're saying one more time that we can become more than we think possible and find a strength we thought impossible. Simon's journey to becoming Peter would take time. It would be filled with just ups and downs and yes, times of failure and incredible self-disappointment. But in this moment, though Simon considered himself unworthy of Jesus's trust, he, he was, he was afraid. You may say, well, how do you know he was afraid? Well, we know it because of the words that followed. Look what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus said, Jesus said to him, Simon, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Think about it. He's, he's at his knees. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Wow, that's so powerful. From now on, you will catch me, but do not be afraid. What a response. Jesus heard him. Jesus heard Peter. He heard him. It was so real and so raw. And that's what, what made Simon Peter part of who he was. And, and when Jesus heard his words, he called it fear. It's like he was saying, Peter, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I won't be able to sustain. I will, I will. I will let you down. That's what Peter was really saying. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. The gap's too big. I won't be able to live up to that word, that name you called over me. I can't do it. I won't be able to do it. I'm not your guy. I can't make it. Find somebody else. Look, come on. I think he was afraid that he was going to disappoint Jesus, that he was going to fail. And part of him was kind of right. I mean, but again, it's so honest, raw, sincere, humility that was driven by a lack of confidence in his capacity to, to be the kind of disciple that Jesus needs, right? I'm not your guy. 
And this got me thinking some more about what I had mentioned earlier about the imposter syndrome. Because the more I looked into it, the more fascinating it became to me. And I actually think that in some way, Peter was struggling with it. Stay with me on it. I was reading an article by Dr. Valerie Young. She categorized um, the imposters, those who kind of fall into the imposter syndrome, into five subgroups. This is interesting. She gave them different names. The first one she called the perfectionist. She said, you, when you're the perfectionist, you focus primarily on how you do things, often to the point where you demand perfection of yourself in every aspect of life. Think about that. Yet, since perfection isn't always a realistic goal, you can't meet those standards. And instead of acknowledging the hard work you've put in after completing a task, you might criticize yourself for small mistakes and feel ashamed of your fail for failure. Basically, you set yourself up because nobody's perfect. You might even avoid trying new things if you believe, hmm, you can't do them perfectly for the first time. I, mean, I actually think it's really interesting to see which one of these things we feel like we most struggle with. So that was the perfectionist. The second one she called the natural genius. You spent your life picking up new skills with little effort and believe you should understand new material and processes right away. Your belief, your belief that competent people can handle anything with little difficulty leads you to feel like a fraud when you actually have a hard time. Like, I'm supposed to get this. I get everything, right? It's some, if something doesn't come easily to you or you failed to succeed on your first try, you might feel ashamed and embarrassed. That's the natural genius. The third one she called the rugged individualist or the soloist. You believe you should be able to handle everything solo. If you can't achieve success independently, you consider yourself unworthy. Asking someone for help or accepting support when it's offered doesn't just mean failing your own high standards. It also means admitting your inadequacies and showing yourself as a failure. And then she talked about another kind of subcategory of the imposter syndrome. She called it the expert before you consider your work a success. You want to learn everything there is to know on the topic. You might spend so much time pursuing your quest for more information that you end up having to devote more time to your main task. <laughs> right? Since you believe you should have all the answers, you might consider yourself a fraud or a failure when you can't answer a question or encounter some knowledge you previously missed. You're just basically setting yourselves up for failure. And the last one, which I actually think would have been the closest one to Simon Peter, the superhero. You link your incompetence, or you link your competence to your ability to succeed in every role you hold. Student, friend, employee, or parent. Failing to successfully navigate the demands of these roles simply proves, in your opinion, your inadequacy. Ah, to succeed then, think about this. You push yourself to the limit, expending as much energy as possible in every role. Still, even this maximum effort may not resolve your imposter feelings. You might think, I should be able to do more, or this should be easier. I think actually, well, I, I think it's easy to see how Simon Peter could have wrestled with this in a way, his version, his version of the imposter syndrome. Like, I, I can't do it. You know, I'm not, I, you know, he has this sense of what it's supposed to look like. But Jesus speaks. He speaks right to him. He speaks to him words that I think are worse for us when we struggle with feelings of either, listen to me, please. When we struggle with either feelings of sin's impact in our lives or our fear of inadequacy. 
both of those things. Wherever our primary struggle is. Don't be afraid, Simon, Jesus says. You used to catch fish, but from now on you will catch men. And Jesus essentially does a couple of things there, doesn't he? I mean, the, the, the first one is the most obvious. First, don't be gripped by your fear. How good is that for you and me? Don't be gripped by your fear. Yield to my words over you. Some of us are, are afraid of ourselves. We're afraid that we, we won't be able to do it. We're afraid that our past will come and, and take us by the throat. We're afraid that, that the, the sins of our youth or the, the flaws of our character or you know, just the enormity of, of what we feel like we're being asked to do and become is, is too much. And so we're afraid. We don't even, we're afraid to try because we think we'll fail. You see what I'm saying? We're afraid to trust the Lord because we think we're going to let him down. We're afraid to say too much because we think that in the end, we won't be able to back it up. And in so doing, the Lord would speak to us words, loved ones. He would, he would, he would say, trust. Because I, I felt that. I have. I have. But I think the Lord would say to us, trust my word over your fear. Trust my word over your fear. I mean, that's what Jesus was saying to him. Look, I know your friend. I do not be afraid. I want to make you a fisher of men. I, I have work for you to do. I'm going to use you. Little blood. Look, I'm not asking you to be perfect or sinless. That's not it. If that was the case, no one comes. That's why we have a savior. That's what Jesus is here for. That's why he came into this world. That's why he paid the price that he paid. Um, we couldn't do it. None of us. This whole world was lost and broken. It still is. And if we have any illusions about that, all we need to do is look at what's going on in our nation, in our world, and all around us. There's a ton of brokenness everywhere. Jesus came to address that. He is the only one that could. He was the perfect one, the beautiful one, the gentle one, but also the lion of the tribe of Judah who was willing to do it with utmost courage and conviction, steadfast to the end. A model. But Jesus wasn't asking him to be perfect. He was asking him to trust him, to cooperate with grace, right? Come on. That's what the Lord is asking of you and me too. That's not, doesn't mean I'm settling for the lowest common denominator. I'm not trying to grow and improve, but it just means that I'm not going to allow that sense of unworthiness or the fact that I've let him down in the past. I'm probably going to let him down again in different ways in the future to, to stop me from wanting to become the man or the woman that he's called me to be in Christ Jesus. And he's going to help us. So it's, it's, it's just something we need to receive. The word of trust that, that tells, tells us, don't be afraid and don't quit. You need to trust me right now. Come on. And then secondly, what else does Jesus do there? In addition to saying, don't be gripped by fear, yield to my words over you. Jesus also is saying, embrace my assignment for you in I want you to be a fisher of men. In other words, it was both exhortive and prophetic. And notice how, I think you did already, Jesus uses the language of his vocation to translate out Peter's kingdom assignment and commission. Do you see that? You were a fisher man. That's what you did by trade. You fished. But now I want to take you 
and ask you to embrace my word over your life and be a fisher of men. I want you to help reach people for God and for his purposes, for the kingdom that I have come to establish forever. And so part of this was choosing to release his fear. And I think that's the case for you and me. The Lord will ask us to release our fear of what we think we can't do or can't do well for God. And then listen to accept what he is asking us to pursue as we cooperate with grace. And that's how it's going to be for you and me if we do this right. He's, you notice the other part there, right? Just like he said, Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this experience you've had and translate that out. It's just a different type of fishing, really, right? It's, I think that's what the Lord does. He, he, he wills to use us in the place of what we know. Do you hear what I'm saying? He wills to use us. This is most frequently the Lord's method to use us in the place of what we know. The gospel translated through the language of our experience, imagination, and passion. That's the, that's when it works best. The things that move you, that intrigue you, that uh, you love, that he wants to redeem those things. Obviously, if they're not good things or healthy things, we need to lay those things aside. But in, it's most often the case that the Lord wants to, to redeem the spaces that are most compelling to us and then have, have us use them in a way for his glory, right? And that brings a joy, a unique joy there. And what, and what I think the Lord would say to us is in, is in the end, I'm calling you to reach others for me. That's what he was telling Peter. I want you to reach others for me. Depart from me, I'm a wicked man. I'm a sinful man. Lord, you go and use somebody else. Jesus says, no, I'm going to use you. And I think the Lord says that to us too. I want to use you, flaws and all, to be a light. I want you to get better, healthier, yes. But I really want you to touch people. Because in the end, it's not about you. It's not about me. <laughs> it's like, it's about the Lord working in me. It's about the Lord working in us to achieve something that will outlast us. Remember, Jesus would say, I know where the fish are. Just follow me. Isn't that so good? Oh, Lord, help us to do that and use us, Lord, our imperfect selves. Help us to be whole. We don't want to be imposters. We don't want to be hypocrites. But we do want to get better. We want to be courageous and we want to trust you. That's what we want to do. So I have, uh, I have some more to share on the backside of our song. I do want to remind everybody before we go into our special that, um, you know, our time of giving. Some of you have been amazing and thank you for your tithes and your offerings. They make a huge difference, allow us to do what we do for the Lord. Remember, you can send those in to our offices. You can give directly through our website. Or you can give through our app, which is what I do. And like I always say, before we ever give, you know, try to give out of your heart. Sincere. Uh, that's what we pray and, you know, that's what we want to do, right? So let's keep that in mind. After we share this song, come right back. So here we go.
living here after all these years Thought he'd been dead and gone, then he suddenly appears And I am not so comfortable with him still around Cause he has got a voice in me I have found There's a chance that I could take him down for good Same way you think you would I know I should and I wish I could, but Unfold and still been uninspired There is no boundary to what I have abused And my pathetic wanderings leave me nothing but confused I can tell you that I got it figured out Rather stand in front of you and scream and shout But without a doubt something that was really illustrated when Jesus was working with Simon, Simon Peter, is that the Lord will work with us too. He's not under any illusions, loved ones, about our strengths and weaknesses. The Lord, listen, the Lord, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Every hidden thing, he's seen it. Wow. Oh. He knows our aspirations, our joys. He knows our darkest failures. There's nothing that catches him off guard. The Lord knows all that. And yet he loves you. And he loves you. And he wants us to serve you. I think sometimes we forget that the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. 
He wants us to ground our identity in Him. Not in what this culture or this world tells us we are. Not even who we tell ourselves who we are based on our past, our experiences in life, or our family, whatever, upbringing. The Lord wants us to ground ourselves in Him as a beloved son and a beloved daughter. And then with His help, live into that. Not as perfect. No, not going to be that. I know that already. But growing, getting better, being faithful in this season, trusting his word over our lives, cooperating with grace as we run this race of faith in Jesus' name.